Welcome to episode 17 of the WebJoy podcast. I'm your host, Eddie. In this podcast, we interview guests about their origin story and what makes them excited and joyful to be part of the tech community. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, The Real World is Messy, with Joe Natoli. Welcome to another episode of WebJoy. I'm excited today to have Joe join us. Joe, go ahead and introduce yourself to the community, who you are, what you do, where you work. Brief introduction. Okay, my name is Joe Natoli. I am a user experience consultant, author, and speaker. I have been helping companies and individuals design better products, essentially, for the better part of my career, which at this point is going on 30 years. There's been an interesting transition halfway through where I started out as a consultant working solely for companies. What I realized is that what I was doing in all cases was teaching. So that led to online courses, teaching, and quite frankly, now that is the bulk <laughs> of what I do is, is <laughs> teaching online. I've recently launched an academy, and um, I spend a lot of time helping people new to this profession and who are you know experienced veterans as well navigate the territory in any number of ways, from actually doing the work to just dealing with the ups and downs of working in business in general. How did you kind of get started on this pathway? Obviously, you're teaching people now. You had to learn. It's a long story. How to even do the stuff. <laughs> well, I guess maybe we can talk about how you got started and then how you kind of shifted into teaching, maybe two smaller bits. <laughs> okay, I'll do my best to make this concise. I started out in graphic design before there was a thing called the internet. Okay, that's how old I am. I was working in traditional graphic design and advertising. The internet came about. I was at an agency, couldn't convince the men who ran it that this internet thing, as they called it, wasn't a passing trend or a fad. <laughs> oh, no. That it was here to stay, and it was something I needed to pay attention to, and they went, yeah, okay, go make me coffee or something. So I jumped out on my own and said, fine, we're going to be a, a software slash web experience design firm, and we're going to design for the internet. Now, I didn't have any idea what I was doing. Nobody knew what they were doing at that point. This was new. It was all new. So timing and luck had a lot to do with this. So we got a lot of work really fast because, again, like everyone else, we, nobody knew how to do any of this. So we all learned on the fly. We built a lot of websites and a lot of web-enabled software in a very quick period of time. That was in the 2000s when the, the dot-com boom was in full swing. I started noticing that as I was doing project work with clients and with their internal teams as well, where you're working with companies, development teams in some cases, I was sort of always teaching one way or another. I had actually been teaching university part-time at that point as well, design classes. And over time, what I realized is that what people would pay me for, what clients would pay me for, and the times when everybody was most engaged and paying the most attention and the most reactive in any way was when I was in acting in sort of consultative fashion, where it's like, okay, I don't just want to do this for you. I want you to understand why this is the right thing to do and how to do it and why it works and how you can do some of it after I'm gone. So again, I realized that, okay, this is kind of where the attention and the money and the respect and the joy is, quite frankly, because I also found that I loved doing it. I loved being that person in the room to try and sort of lift everybody up and help everybody along and help them to see what they were capable of. So fast forward to, I want to say 2013, maybe, 14. My wife, who has always been my business partner, said to me, there's this thing called Udemy where people teach via video. And you have like 40 million client presentations 
that would probably lend themselves to courses. And I went, okay, that makes sense. So we gave it a shot. I put together a quick course on the fundamentals of user experience design, threw it out there, no expectations whatsoever. And really short span of time, we had like a thousand people. Oh, wow. Took it. And then it was 3,000 people. And then it was 8,000. And then like, okay, what's happening here? <laughs> so that was the seed. Fast forward now to 2022, over 266,000 people have taken my courses <laughs> online on Udemy, on Skillshare, and on my own platform, which is um, the UX365 Academy. So I could have never predicted that in a million years. There's no possible way. But it all feeds into even the consulting gigs that I still take. And I do speaking engagements, keynotes at different conferences around the world. It's all teaching. I mean, it really is. It's all, here's what I've learned along my journey. <laughs> and here's what's worked. Here's what hasn't. And here's how I think it could help you. And I find tremendous, tremendous joy in that, especially when, no more so than when people come back to me and say, I saw this thing you did, or I took this course, or I read this article, or I saw you on stage, and I can't tell you how much this helped me. And they'll tell me a story as to how they took something that I, I threw out there and they did something meaningful with it. There's nothing better. There's absolutely nothing, nothing better. All right. It reaffirms the reason you get up in the morning, <laughs> you know, and the older I get, the more important that is that the helping people part of this is by far the most important piece. Being that catalyst for transformation, having them be in one place at the beginning and having them be in another place at the end. I love it. And what I love about that most is that I love people seeing their own strength and seeing their own capability and fully realizing the things that they're more than capable of. But up until that point, been convincing themselves one way or another that uh, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I didn't go to the right school, I can't do this, whatever the case may be. Because I think we all have some of that, some of us worse than others. And high achievers, especially people who are excellent at what they do, doubt themselves the most. They have the biggest imposter syndrome <laughs> I've found. <laughs> So yeah, I love that. I guess if a lot of what you focus on is helping shift people from one spot to another spot and helping them understand what they can do, is there any specific, I guess, focus or way that you teach that you're trying to help kind of them see that? Is there anything particular there besides the subject matter itself? Yeah, I think so. And there's a couple of pieces to that. The first is within the design and user experience industry with how software and web design is done, there are, like everything else, the software development, right? There are lots of rules, there are a lot of processes, there are a lot of protocols. And a lot of them are very rigid and very perfect. And you look at them on paper and we, we look at these wonderful diagrams and we go, wow, that looks, it's brilliant, it's a great process. It looks, all things are considered here. The real world is messy. Organizations are messy. You have people, politics, personalities, emotions. All that perfect world stuff falls flat on its face the minute you try to follow that recipe. And what happens? You get sort of a shot to the face and you go, okay, it must be me. I can't do this. And it's not really true. So the first part of, big part of what I teach is that there's, there is never one right single way to do anything. And any process and protocol and method that you've been taught, you have to take it as it can and should be adapted to your reality. You take the parts that aren't working and you throw them away and you don't look back twice about that. No matter what any expert says about how you're supposed to do this, I don't care, I wanna deal in reality. What's holding us back, let's get it the hell out of our way. So that's a big part of 
of this because when people realize they have the leverage and freedom to do that, then they see that it wasn't them. <laughs> mm. It was trying to pound a, a square peg into a, a round hole. The other part of it is, quite frankly, is I spend a lot of time talking about the fact that we're human beings. And I do this with development teams who aren't used to all this touchy-feely stuff, okay? But it comes out. <laughs> there are personality things going on here. There's emotional things going on here. There's, there's past emotional issues going on here. We have to get real with each other to some degree, right, in order to overcome any of this. So someone told me two years ago, it was a client, said, you're like the Tony Robbins of, of UX. And I laughed. I mean, I laughed for a long time, actually, about that. <laughs> because I would have never made that comparison. But, but I get it now. A lot of what I do is therapy in some ways for clients, for people, for individuals, because part of it is just getting real with yourself and saying, why am I insisting that I have to be perfect at everything? Why am I insisting that I can't show my emotions here? Why am I insisting that someone else gets to dictate what I can say and how I can say it? We're all just people. So a lot of what I do is, is quite frankly, trying to help people empower themselves and realize that these limitations that other people place on them, they're not bound by those things. You're not required to, to adhere to someone else's idea of who you're supposed to be at work and life in general. I love that. Taking the kind of burden of expectations, especially I feel like in the tech industry, like you said, there's a lot of processes, right? Design processes. There's waterfall versus agile, right? Like in the tech industry, we feel like processes make us fast. Processes make us efficient. Processes make us right. As if they were the answer to everything. That's right. Yeah, they become the answer. And I love that idea of just saying, hey, they're not the answer. Like, maybe you could do waterfall and do it perfectly fine in a specific scenario. You know, like, we like to vilify things, I think. And that attaches to who people are. Right. And for example, I mean, I talked to a client a month ago, they're going, our efficiency is just garbage. We're right up against every deadline we have, or we're blowing past it. And our backlog keeps growing exponentially. We've got all this work that we can't get to, and we cannot get to the bottom of this. And I started having conversations with them about how much time they were spending in meetings and conversations. And one of the things that came up was they would go through their user stories and spend an inordinate amount of time trying to figure out level of effort using something called story pointing, which is a whole thing with agile process. You assign points to stories, whatever. It's a tremendous, in their case, it was a tremendous waste of time. They were, quite frankly, just throwing away three to four hours out of every day screwing around with this. Every day? I thought you were going to say like every week or every other day or every other week or something. No, it was literally every day. They were having these meetings every day. This is an enterprise organization, right? Huge team. And I said, okay, first of all, that has to stop. <laughs> yeah. if, if you need to get a handle on duration, you need to start with where this list is coming from in the first place. You need to qualify some of this stuff before it ever makes it to this repository where all these stories are kept. You need a qualifier a week ago. <laughs> <laughs> you know, not now. You've got too much to deal with. But the, the law of process says we have to do it this way. And as crazy as this sounds, teams and people and organizations will go limping along with these things until somebody with a clear outside perspective says, why are you doing this? Mm. And everybody goes, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody has a, I feel really dumb moment, but it's hard. It's just very hard with this kind of work 
given the level of detail and the level of focus that it demands and the pressure that everybody's under and a million things happening all at the same time, all the time, new requests all the time. It's very difficult to have the mental bandwidth to step back and take a look and go, okay, wait, what are we doing here? <laughs> and does all this really matter? Is it all worth doing? So that's, I see that as part of my job, right? To help people and teams and organizations get clarity because that's why products suck, okay? When something on this device is not performing as expected from a business bottom line perspective or from, you know, users are, are like, we hate this, it sucks. The, that lack of performance is very rarely people not knowing how to do their jobs. What it is, is a lot of organizational dysfunction that's in the way of them doing their jobs to the best of their ability. <laughs> so the task becomes, if we're going to improve design or improve user experience, we also have to improve that dysfunction first. That's great. It's really about getting clarity as to why and how you're doing things. Like asking those questions, like you said, why? And asking yourself, like, who said to do it that way, right? Like, is this... Is this something the company decided? Is this something that the company yeah. adopted that someone else said? Like, what's the source of that decision? And sometimes it's in a rule book somewhere. Mm. There's a million flavors of Agile, for example. There, people follow the Scrum handbook <laughs> religiously, even though it's, it's wasting their time to an inordinate degree. So somebody has to, and I can do this because I'm a consultant. I don't work there, okay? I can't get in trouble for anything that comes out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> They've hired me to tell them the truth, and that's exactly what I'm doing. So it's easier for me to say, look, this is stupid. The fact that you're wasting this much time on this is just dumb. It makes no sense. You're killing yourselves for no reason. I can say that. <laughs> it's a lot easier for me to say that than it is for other people. One thing we like to do in every episode is to just talk about, hey, like as a community, we love to support each other. And so do you have anything that you're involved in or anything that you're passionate about or that you've done recently that you want to share with the community that you know they may be interested in checking out? Yeah, a couple of things. I mean, number one, I started offering personal one-to-one -one coaching for UXers and designers. And that was something that I wasn't able to do for a long time because my schedule just wouldn't allow it. So now I've purposely carved out time for that kind of stuff. So if you go to givegoodux.com slash coaching, you'll find out more about that. And the other big thing is that a year ago, I launched what I consider to be an alternative to UX and design boot camps, overpriced boot camps. Now, it's not exactly the same animal. This is all self-paced learning. So it's, you don't necessarily have the hands-on instructor part of it because there are too many students, number one. But if you... Enroll in a boot camp right now. Okay, you're gonna pay 13 grand, 15 grand, six to eight month program. Yeah. To my eye and to a lot of other folks who I know and respect in this industry, what students get for that price is really unbalanced. Okay. They don't get nearly mm -hmm. enough of what they need. They don't have enough practicality. They get a lot of perfect world stuff that is absolutely unusable once they get out of there. And they paid a ridiculous amount of money to do so. There are all these things about job guarantees, which are all very shady and the qualifiers for meeting that thing, because some places will say, we'll guarantee that you get a job or you get your tuition back. If the job pays a dollar an hour, you know, the guarantee is, has been met in some cases. So it, it's just all very underhanded and it makes me angry. And I thought this is just stupid. So what I did instead is I, I I'm creating a self-serve version of a bootcamp in, in, in all the different areas of doing this work that I can think of, from the emotional stuff that you and I talked about, 
to dealing with difficult people, different stakeholders, difficult clients, to process, to designing, to all aspects of user experience, to presenting your work, to learning how to uh, deal with job interviews, portfolios, all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's every course I've ever created. It's training videos that I've only done with clients up until this point. It's eBooks, cheat sheets, downloadable guides, all sorts of stuff. I publish new content just about every month there. So it's this growing repository of stuff. And the price tag is a hell of a lot lower. It's $168 a year for basic membership. And it's $228 if you want a live monthly VIP mastermind session with me and a group of people who all help each other. Okay. $228 is a far cry from $13,000. <laughs> yes, that is different worlds. And as arrogant as this may sound, I get some people are going to be like, okay, whatever. The quality of instruction is the same, if not better, okay? I don't teach anything that I haven't experienced personally myself, that I haven't seen work inside an organization. Mm. I don't waste time with things that I know are never going to fly inside a company. I've been consulting with enterprise organizations for 30 years. (laughs) I have current clients right now, okay? I I had a meeting with one of them before this one. So this is all based in reality. It's not pie in the sky theory. It's not one person's opinion. It's fact. It's accumulated fact. And I just don't believe that it has to be out of reach for people from a price perspective. So I see this as a, as a mission, as you could probably tell. <laughs> By the way, I'm talking about it. <laughs> it's here. The money part is, is secondary. My, my mandate from day one was, how do we make this affordable? for people. And how we make it affordable is I can't be there 24-7 for thousands of students. It's not possible. But self-serve works. I love that because I think one of the big challenges with boot camps and things like that is that who are the instructors? Like, I'm sure they've they've done some good things, right? Like, I don't want to undermine them, but like someone with a lot of experience doesn't have the time to spend full time with these boot camps. Nor are they being paid properly to do it. Mm. Yep. So that's another thing. I know of three bootcamp programs right now where your work, because the, the big selling point is you're going to do your work and it's going to be reviewed, right? And you're going to get advice and you're going to get guidance on the actual work you do. It's peer reviews. Your work in many cases is being reviewed by other students who are, forgive me for saying this, who may be just as clueless as you are in terms of whether this is appropriate or not. Yeah. Which to me is grossly unfair. Okay. If you put a student in a position where they're meant to get advice, they need to be getting advice from someone who has been there, done that, and can steer them in the right direction. Otherwise, that's just wrong. Okay. It's wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Because their peers also are paying money to learn the right way to do things. Like if you are paying this kind of money to learn, you don't have the answers. Like that's just fundamental or you wouldn't pay the money to go there. (laughs) Of course. Absolutely. And again, when I was hearing all these stories, it's just all accumulating. And I was like, okay, this is insane. So I knew I had to do something. I just, and I wasn't sure what, and then it was, so I made it an extension of what I was already doing, which is online video courses. And okay, I thought, okay, we can take a run at this. And so far so good. I mean, a lot of people come back and say, this really helped me. You know, I I aced, feel like I aced this interview because of what I learned. I feel like this prepared me for what I'm doing in a way that nothing else has. I had one person to tell me, This was more valuable. They said four months of this was more valuable than four and a half years of college. That's a hell of a thing to hear from somebody. Yeah. And despite how I may come off, I am not a person who thinks highly of themselves. I really don't. In fact, we (laughs) we mentioned imposter syndrome, okay? Yeah. I have it in spades, believe me. 
But without this kind of feedback, I don't think I would ever do anything. You know, it would just be too difficult. The proof is theirs, not mine. It's working. It works. So anyway, that, that's my big spiel. Oh, I didn't tell you where it was. <laughs> it's the URL is learn.givegoodux.com. Nice. Kind of important. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, if that sounds interesting to anyone listening, definitely go check out both of those things and uh, I'll have the links to everything in the show notes. So you don't have to rewind the podcast, go (laughs) type it in, just open up the show notes and click on the link and you can go check it out and learn from Joe. Well, Joe, I appreciate you making the time to join us and talk. Thank you for having me, Andy. I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us for episode 17, The Real World is Messy with Joe Natoli. You can find out more about Joe on his Twitter, at Joe Natoli, or his website, givegoodux.com. You can find links to everything we talked about in this episode, as well as a link to Joe's Twitter and website in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, help others discover it as well. Give us a shout out on Twitter and tag a friend or coworker that you think would enjoy it. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter to stay up to date, at WebJoyFM. Thank you for listening and have a great day.